Beloved congregation of the Lord, as we continue in our series through the gospel according to Luke, will you read with me again in Luke chapter 1, and our text is found in verses 67 and 68. And his father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Ghost and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he hath visited and redeemed his people. Well, congregation, we will consider the text, explain it, we will consider the central doctrine, and then we will derive some application from it. First, consider in this text there is one who speaks. Children, you remember, don't you? The story of this man, Zechariah. He of course, Zacharias was tasked with an important job as one of the priests. And yet, his burden and his sorrow, together with his wife Elizabeth, was that he could not have a child. Well, so much has happened. The angel has appeared to him, revealing that his wife will have a child in her old age. And so it was that because he disbelieved this word, he was both unable to speak and unable to hear throughout the whole pregnancy. But after he, his boy was born and after he gave the boy the name which the angel had said that he was to give, his name shall be called John. At that point, what happens is that his tongue is loosed. He is able to speak once more. And everyone is astonished that this should happen. This is just but one of many wonders in this chapter of the word of God. But I would note to you that even though this was a great joy to him that he should finally have his own baby boy, everything that he says, children, it's all about the amazing grace of God in Jesus Christ. That's what happens when the Lord sends blessings in our lives. If we really know him, we trace all blessings ultimately back to him. Well, that's the one who speaks. But look at his manner of speaking. Verse 67, and his father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Ghost, and prophesied. He speaks on behalf of God. We have the word of God here. The word of God on the lips of man. So was it said by another prophet by the name of David, King David, in 2 Samuel 23, verse 2, the spirit of the Lord spake by me, and his word was in my tongue. Why is it that we so carefully go verse by verse through every, um, every word in one of these great books of the Bible? It's because every word is breathed by God. It has the authority of God, and it is the word of God to you and to me. I would say there's something special about this. As the new covenant era and Jesus Christ breaks forth into history, what is it that we see here? We see that there is revelations from heaven 
special revelations that come from God himself. Joel 2 verse 28 And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions. How vital it is that we attend to the true word of God. Not to the ideas of man, but to what God would say to us. So far we've seen the one who speaks and how he speaks with the authority of God, but also you notice what he speaks. What he speaks. Well, he speaks praise to God. Praise to God. He says, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. You see, the God of Israel is the very God of the New Testament as well as the Old. There is one purpose of salvation and one God throughout Old and New. He is the God of Israel. And all true believers are members of the true Israel of God. So it is that he is overcome. He is overwhelmed with the goodness of God revealed unto him. Have you ever found it that way? Where God has revealed himself unto you and you cannot but speak words of hallelujah and praise unto the God of your salvation. So it was with this man. What were those things that he spoke of in particular that were the cause of his praise? Two things of visitation and a redemption. A visitation and a redemption. Look first at this visitation. For he hath visited. He hath visited us. Maybe children, you know what it's like for maybe relatives from a far distant place to come and pay a nice visit in your home. And you say, wow, isn't that nice to pay a visit? But what would you say if the king of Canada, King Charles, was paying a visit? Would you not say that's pretty important? We need to get ready for King Charles to come? Well, this isn't just King Charles we're talking about, but a visit from the very king of heaven himself, a visit from God. I think it's very interesting that this is the exact way in which God described himself when he was coming to save his people in slavery to Egypt. Maybe you remember when we read from Exodus chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. You remember the context there? The, uh, Moses, at this point, he's not famous yet, children. No, he's just a shepherd looking after his uh, father-in-law's sheep. And he goes there to Mount Horeb or Mount Sinai and he sees the, the bush that's burning, burning, burning and yet not consumed. What explains it? Well, here is a revelation from God. The angel of the Lord appears to him. And what does he say? He says, I have heard the affliction of my people. He says, I have seen the oppression and the injustice committed by the Egyptians. And so he is going to work a great work. 
But I say again, Exodus 3 and verse 16, Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say unto them, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, appeared unto me, saying, I have surely visited you and seen that which is done to you in Egypt. And I have said, I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt into the land of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites unto a land flowing with milk and honey. What is it that we see? We see that a great thing is happening. Another exodus, another redemption is to take place through another visitation. In the same book of Luke, you find that Jesus' person, his ministry and his work is described as a visitation in a number of places. For example, when he brought a child back from the dead in one uh, glorious instance in Luke chapter 7 and verse 16, we read, and there came a fear on all, and they glorified God, saying that a great prophet is risen among us, and that God hath visited his people. Well, surely they spoke more than they knew. They did not perhaps fully understand that not only was it that a prophet was in their midst, not only was the power of God visiting them, but the very person who was divine and God of God and light of light and very God of very God, he has entered into history. This is what this whole chapter is about, the coming of Jesus Christ into the world, the most important event in all of history, the supreme hinge upon which all history turns is the coming of Christ Jesus into the world. And so it is that there's this visitation but also a redemption, a redemption. He says in verse 68, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he hath visited and redeemed his people. Now, thus far we have seen here, have we not, the text. We've seen that the surface meaning here is very glorious, but I want to delve now into the doctrine, the doctrine of redemption. If we would summarize the doctrine that is contained in these verses, we would perhaps summarize it this way. God has accomplished redemption for his people in Jesus Christ. Was there a great redemption wrought by God in the days of Moses? Well, surely it was. You've learned about it, children, haven't you? Those terrible plagues that were brought upon that mighty superpower of that generation, locusts and frogs and darkness and boils, the Nile turning to blood, the slaying of the firstborn, all of these things hammering that wicked nation to bring them under a state of humility that they would let the people of God go. They were brought out with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, redeemed to serve and to worship God, saved from bondage, brought unto liberty. So it is described in that way in Exodus chapter 6, verse 6. Wherefore, say unto the children of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you 
out from under the burdens of the Egyptians and I will rid you from out of their bondage and I will redeem you with a stretched out arm and with great judgments. But if this redemption is great, how much greater is the greater redemption found in Jesus Christ, the greater than Moses, for where the law came through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. He, in accomplishing a redemption, sought to redeem a people not merely from the bondage to a wicked king who was enslaving them and make them build bricks without straw, He sought to redeem a people from the consequences of their terrible law-breaking against the throne of heaven. Jesus himself spoke of this in Mark 10, verse 45, For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom. For many, that concept of a ransom, you see, is a payment, a cost that is paid in order to redeem a slave, to purchase them. So it was that Jesus Christ came as our ransom, as the one who would pay the debt that sin deserved. In Galatians 3, verse 13, we read, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. It was on the cross, you see, that Christ Jesus paid the cost as our ransom. As our sin bearer, he endured the wrath of God in our place. The righteous for the unrighteous. The innocent for the guilty. And he laid down a life of infinite worth, being the eternal son of God. We read in John 12, verse 31, that this was on his heart. A redemption and an exodus that would redeem his people. Exodus 12, verse 31, Now is the judgment, says Jesus, of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. And I, if I be lifted up on the earth, will draw all men unto me. You see, having been made sinners through the original sin of our father Adam, and through our own actual transgressions, we were all of us by nature in bondage to sin, and thus bondage unto the prince of this world, the devil. So there is a glorious reversal accomplished through Jesus' salvation, which he wrought. You see, there is now a drawing of all men unto himself, and there is a casting out of the prince of this world. It's all summarized, really, in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 12, giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints of light who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. 
You see, a great liberty was accomplished by the cross work of Christ for his people. What was purchased there was a liberty out of the consequences of our sin, out of the power of darkness, unto the great liberty of the sons and daughters of God. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 17, Now the Lord is that Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Christ applying liberty unto the captives by the work of his Spirit. You know, there's much talk about liberty in human history. We fight wars in the Middle East, supposedly, for freedom. And yet all the time propping up false religions that leave people in a much greater spiritual bondage than any political tyranny. There have been great wars fought in order that you could have the right to determine where your taxes go. Where the true liberty that is truly worth possessing is that which is spiritual, having access unto God and Jesus Christ, having your sins forgiven, being freed from the bondage of the devil. Listen to what the Westminster Confession of Faith, Article 20 says, the liberty which Christ hath purchased for believers under the gospel consists in their freedom from the guilt of sin, the condemning wrath of God, the curse of the moral law, and in there being delivered from this present evil world, bondage to Satan and dominion for sin, from the evil of afflictions, the sting of death, the victory of the grave and everlasting damnation, as also in their free access to God and their yielding obedience unto him, not out of slavish fear, but a childlike love and willing mind. Here is the doctrine that God has accomplished a full redemption for sinners in Jesus Christ. So we've considered the text. We've considered the doctrine. Now I would speak to you. I would speak to you of the applications. What does the word of God say to you, my friend? You've heard the letter. You've heard the doctrine. You've heard the truth. But what will you do with this truth? How is it with you this morning? Let us consider this use in the first place. Let us face and consider our need for this redemption. Our need for it. Oh, I would be so terrified if anyone would actually sit after hearing all these things and be thinking to themselves, I don't need this redemption. Don't need it. It's a horrifying thing to imagine, but there are slaves that do not even know their slavery. And they are under a master much crueler than any Pharaoh of Egypt. They are slaves unto the devil. The great number of people in this world are in this condition. The great number of people in this city, dare we even say even people in this room, slaves to the devil, slaves to sin, in bondage, under a harsh yoke to a thankless and a cruel master. And if you are a Christian and you have tasted and seen that the Lord is good, you will not deny it for you know it in your own experience. Surely, if you know yourself at all, you know that by nature, that is what you were, Christian. 
You were a slave to the devil. Consider and look back upon your life. Can you remember a time where God was not precious to you, where Christ was but a word on a page? Can you remember a time where you lived your life according to your own whims and giving no care to the true things of God? Such you were when you were a slave to the devil. Listen to what Ephesians 2 verse 1 says, and you hath he quickened, that means made alive. You hath he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past, in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath even as others. Oh, can you imagine where Paul sent that to the church of Ephesus and how people probably fell down in the church weeping at the thought of how they had been such fools to despise the goodness of God, to live according to the carnal lusts of this world. And yet God had shown mercy to them. He had made them alive where formerly they were dead. The Spirit of the Lord had brought liberty unto their souls. They had been redeemed. Well, surely you recognize this, Christian, and it is a source of thanksgiving for you. Every day you humble yourself before the Lord, surely, and say, Praise God, I am not a child of wrath headed for that eternal destruction. And any mention of this liberty and redemption, it's precious to you. It's not just, oh, yes, I've heard this all before. It's, yes, tell me more. Tell me what my Lord Jesus has done for me. But I would say there may, as I've suggested, also be those who stand in such need of this redemption to be applied unto their souls because they are still children of wrath. They are still slaves to the devil. They have not been redeemed. They are in bondage. They look ahead at the future. They, they consider God and there is only darkness and misery and, and confusion at best. And where they have any clear view of God, any clear view of his dealings with men, they hate God. They resist God. They despise God. Terrible. Terrible to consider the bondage of the unbeliever. Oh, I would weep over your soul. Were, were it possible today, I wish I had a soft enough heart that I would weep for you. Christ weeps for you. He weeps over Jerusalem. He approaches Jerusalem in Luke 19 and he sees this wicked city that has resisted the calls of mercy, that has resisted the overtures of grace. And what does he say in Luke 19 verse 42? If thou hadst known, even thou, at least in this thy day, the things which belong unto thy peace, but now they are hid from thine eyes. For the days shall come upon thee, that thine enemies shall cast a trench about thee, and compress thee round, and keep thee in, on every side, and shall lay thee even with the ground, and thy children within thee. And they shall not leave in thee one stone upon another, because thou knewest 
not the time of thy visitation. Visitation. There has been a great visit from the king of heaven. He has come into this world. And even for you, he has come so close. Before the end comes and judgment is full and you breathe your last, I would tell you, use the vision of faith and see your terrible condition. Receive something of the truth of God into your soul and confess and acknowledge that you need him. There is that first as a use that we would see our need for this redemption. Here's the second use, receive. Receive this redemption. Well, I spoke from Luke, Joel chapter 2 earlier on where it spoke about how your old men shall see visions and dreams and prophesy and so forth, probably in reference to men like Zechariah. And right after that in Joel chapter 2, verse 32, it says, And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be delivered. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem shall be deliverance, as the Lord hath said, and in the remnant whom the Lord shall call. You are headed for destruction, my friend, if you are outside of Christ. Do not imagine that you can toy with God. Do not imagine that your sin will not find you out. Recognize and see that the hour is at hand. You do not know when you have another opportunity, another opportunity to be made right with God. But Christ has come close to you. And he has said, if you would call upon my name, you shall be redeemed. You shall be delivered. Whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Is he a liar? Is Christ unfaithful to his word? Shall he harden his heart where he weeps over your soul when you are too hardened to weep for your own? How great is the love of Christ coming to us again with the word from heaven, the word from mercy. Shall we do nothing with this? Oh, for the Christian, it is far otherwise. Every day we need this. We come again and again and say, Truth, Lord, we are worthy of bondage, worthy indeed to be condemned. But all liberty I possess, all true spiritual joys in God, it flows through you as the one mediator, Christ Jesus. Through your precious blood, everything I possess has been accomplished. And so you treasure this gospel, and it's the occasion of you pleading upon your knees every day, Lord, though I have sinned and transgressed all of your laws and kept none of them, yet receive me as your child. And so it is that your enjoyment of this redemption is in proportion to your daily receiving it. Not that you receive it once and then you just pray for others that they'd be saved. No, you personally, if you are seeking to be active in the kingdom of Christ, if you are seeking to serve him with your whole heart, how can you not apply this gospel to yourself? Let us not imagine that we are any better if we think that we've attained anything in the way of grace, anything in the way of his service. 
And we yet say that we are unprofitable servants. What have we received that we have not been given? We must receive this redemption. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7 in whom, speaking of Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Oh, the infinite riches of the grace of God revealed in Jesus Christ. How could we ever understand the inestimable worth of the blood of the Son of God? How could we ever come to even the small beginning of that knowledge? of what it means that the Son of God loved me and gave himself for me. I tell you, if it is a common thing and an ordinary thing to you, if it does not fill you with wonder and joy and longing to know more and more of him, then I would be burdened for you and say, you may still be in your sins. Little children, you must understand this. Whether baptized, whether in a, in a gospel church, whether being part of a Christian family, this will not save you. This will not help you except you have Christ. You need him. You need to trust in him. You need to receive of his fullness, of his goodness, of his love. Whosoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Call upon him and you will be saved. Second use was receive this redemption. Third use, live according to this redemption. What do we imagine that we've been redeemed in order that we would continue in sin? Have you been redeemed by the precious blood of Christ? Is Christ your redemption? Is slave no longer, is sin no longer your master and the devil no longer your oppressor? Is the gates of heaven wide open to you because of the sure prom promise that all who call upon his name shall be saved? Then it is impossible that you can go on living in sin. If you have tasted and seen the Lord is good and gracious and glorious, you must live out this in your life. Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 20, verse 3, is so helpful in forever silencing the wretched heresy of antinomianism, hatred of the law as a rule of obedience for the Christian. That's wrong. It is a rule of obedience for the Christian. Listen to what it says about liberty. They who upon pretense of Christian liberty do practice any sin or cherish any lust do thereby destroy the end of Christian liberty which is that being delivered out of the hands of our enemies, we might serve the Lord without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. So was it also spoken by the Apostle Paul himself in Romans 6, verse 20. For when ye were the servants of sin, ye were free from righteousness. What fruit had ye then in those things whereof ye now are ashamed of? For the end of those things is death. But now, being made free from sin and become servants to God, ye have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. Repentance, obedience, submission to the will of God, these are not any restraint to true liberty. 
And this is the folly of this age. They say, how can I obey the law of God in my life? That is going to constrain me from what I really want. Well, I would tell you, if you, what you really want is to be free from the law of God, then the judgment and the wrath of God abides upon you. And you will surely endure the infinite wrath of God eternally in hell, except you are made a new creature in Christ Jesus. But for you who are a true child of God, for you who delight to do the will of Christ because he is your savior, I would tell you, do not for an instant come under the bondage of the snares and temptations of this world. They have no claim upon you. You are redeemed with a precious cost, the blood of the Son of God. You are empowered with his spirit. You are a child of the king. You were made to live as a holy person, to be who you're always called to be, the one who is a true servant of God. I remember I was preaching at another one of our churches, and I went over to the family's house after the service as they were talking, and they, they just said, I'm just so burdened for the creeping tyranny in our land. It seems like there's more and more liberty that's being taken away. And I, and I told him, well, you know what? You need to think about Mark, Martin Luther. Martin Luther, when he was being persecuted, when he was on the run from the Pope and from all the Popish kings, and they were all trying to kill him, you need to understand, you read him, and he testifies that he is the freest man in all of Europe because he knows that whatever man can do unto him, he is secure in the love of the Father. He is redeemed by the blood of Christ. Are we afraid about the tyranny of our land? Are we afraid about what this or that government may one day do to the faithful in Christ Jesus? Well, I would tell you that they cannot take away the heart of true liberty. None can take away what God has given, my friend. You are free to obey God with all of your heart. None can resist you in what is lawful and right. Embrace this liberty. Stand in the liberty wherewith you are called. Indeed, submit to authority in all things lawful, but recognize that Christ Jesus, he is King of kings and Lord of lords. I would end just with this verse from Psalm 111, verse 9. He sent redemption unto his people. He hath commanded his covenant forever. Holy and reverent is his name. Praise be unto the God of Israel. Amen.